Hi, this is Alina and Megan, and you're listening to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, where we dive into all things health, wellness, and fitness. We are two certified athletic trainers, personal trainers, and nutrition coaches who met and graduated together from the University of Arkansas. And we want to do this podcast to spread our joy about treating our bodies well through nutrition, exercise, and knowledge. Today on Move Your BB podcast, we have the one and only Dr. Carla Hannaford. She is a biologist, author, educator, and she has 40 years and more of teaching experience. Dr. Hannaford is the author of Smart Moves, Why Learning is Not All in Your Head, The Dominance Factor, Awakening the Child Heart, Playing in the Unified Field, Raising and Becoming Conscious, Creative Human Beings. She is an expert on learning. Her books are absolutely phenomenal. I read both of her books, and we talk about her books and her knowledge in this podcast. She has worked with musicians, artists, healthcare professionals, social service agencies, athletes, spiritual organizations, and she has keynoted for many conferences worldwide. She has been quoted in over a thousand books and journal articles on the importance of movement and music for brain development and lifelong health. This episode was brilliant, and we absolutely love talking to Dr. Hannaford, and we know you're going to enjoy it. Okay, so today on Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, we have Dr. Carla Hannaford, and we are so excited to have you on today. Um, but let's let's get right into it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Whoa, <laughs> um, I've always been curious, passionately curious about life, and I did not read until I was ten years of age which was okay back then, way back then, you know, 100 years ago. (laughs) And otherwise, I would have been in special ed also because I was very kinesthetic. Uh, I'm all right brain, right blocked. Everything is on the right. So when I'm under stress, I just shut down. And um, somehow I made it through. (laughs) And then I noticed in my own daughter that she was having the same kind of problems I had. And um, I was teaching at that time at the University of Hawaii. I've taught a number of places before. And teaching physiology, biology, I have a PhD in neurophysiology. And um, I (laughs) ended up being asked to work with a CSAP program in the intermediate school, which is Comprehensive Student Alienation Program. Because in my university classes, I was using Georgie Lazarnoff's Super Learning, which is using a beat a second music to help the brain assimilate information and especially uh, language, different language like Latin, which is biology is basically Latin. And uh, so in the, right before I started this program, a, uh, a nurse practitioner uh, said, you need to know about Brain Gym if you're going to be working with these kids. And so she showed me four activities that um, I thought, well, cool, why not? I'll use them. And um, the principal of this intermediate school was just a, a nine-week pilot project. And I thought, this is cool. I'll be in the same school with my daughter. 
Well, she was mortified I would do this to her. Uh, and in the four years that I actually worked there, nobody knew I was her mom. Impressive. <laughs> and, uh, <I> <laughs> impressive. But um, so I started working with, there were a number of, of these CSAP kids that came to me. And I, I was teaching full-time at the university as a full-time single parent. And doing this pilot project, I didn't read their their folders. Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. I had no preconceived notion of these people. And so when they came in to me, I just asked them, you know, what do you want to work with? And we had a beat a second music on in the background. And I had them do these four brain gym activities. And within two weeks, I had teachers coming to me. And saying, what are you doing with Leilani? What are you doing with Miley? What are you doing with Susie? What are you doing with Jesse? And I said, well, the beat a second music, the thinking caps, the cross crawl, the hookups, the lazy eights. I don't know. And they were like, wow, they have changed so much. And the big change was a, a young man named Jesse. When he came to me again, I had not read his file, so I had no idea of who he was, except he was big. And I kept thinking, seems like he's older. He was 17. He'd been held back and held back and was still in intermediate school. And he was a kid that had been beaten from the day he was born, and I didn't know that. So I asked him, what do you want to work on? He said, reading. And I said, well, what, do you, what are you interested in? He said, motorcycles. So we went to the library and got magazines on motorcycles and did all these activities. And the English teacher came to me two weeks later and said, what are you doing with Jesse? And I told her. And I said, why? She said, he offered to read in class. The teachers, the kids were all afraid of him. They thought he couldn't read. They thought he, he couldn't add anything. I mean, it was so amazing to me. And then I just started seeing all these miracles. And I thought, okay, what is going on here? What is changing? And I lo started looking through the literature, and there wasn't anything. You know, it was the whole idea of the brain is it, and we want to keep the body still so that the brain can think. You know, no movement. <laughs> and uh, it was like, wait a minute. So as a neurophysiologist, I know that the motor cortex here in the frontal lobe of the brain has to do with movement. And the cerebellum is, is vital for movement. And at that time, we were getting some information showing that the cerebellum was also affecting all the regions of the brain, and that it was more than just gross motor movement. Um, and that was fascinating to me. And so I started watching. What was really lucky for me is this nine-week pilot project ended up being four years long. And the next year, the principal from the grade school asked if I would be the counselor for special ed which I said, sure, because then I had another laboratory. So I was teaching full-time at the University of Hawaii 
and doing this halftime at the intermediate, halftime at the grade school. And as a single parent, I was younger, and that helped. <laughs> but wow. So I had this, this laboratory of children, and the special ed children especially. Um, and doing the brain gym was miraculous. And what is it? It's crossing the midline of the body. It's what we do when we take a walk. Now, recently, Scientific American came out with a huge article on the importance of movement, of cross-lateral integrative movement, like walking, you know, and how it was a cure for depression. Mm-hmm. And we know when people are depressed, they, they quit moving. And uh, the front, the uh, area in the, the brain just gets real active on, oh, this is my life, and oh my gosh. And uh, it was interesting, in 1999, Gerd Kepperman and Fred Gage did an interesting experiment and discovered that we're growing new nerve cells until the day we die. In fact, we're growing as many as 6,000 new nerve cells a day in an area, mainly in an area called the hippocampus, which has to do with memory, but also along the spine and in the olfactory nodes, which have to do with memory too. And um, then Henrietta von Prague at Marion Diamond's laboratory at Berkeley um, had for years, I mean 20 years, they've been studying rats and mice and had seen that they were growing new nerve cells till the day they died. And they were using um, enriched environments. So Henrietta decided to find out what is it in the enriched environment that is causing the growth of these new nerve cells. And so she took that apart with regard to these rodents they were working with. And what came up were running wheels cross-lateral integrated movements, running, walking. And uh, it changed the whole face of how we were seeing, how do we learn? How do we grow? How do we continue to make nerve cells throughout our life to be smart and brilliant? And um, so all of these brain-based conferences that I've been speaking at like the Eric Jensen conferences and stuff, suddenly became mind-body conferences. And the body was brought into it, and it was really important that the body be an integral part of our learning process. In fact, from now statements from the top neurophysiologists in the world, all of our information comes through the rest of the body, The brain is like the last to get it. And we filter it out. Um, In my books, I've I've shown what we know right now about memory. And we have spam filters. And they filter out anything that does not have to do with our belief system, our reality that's been set up for us by our society, by our families, by, you know, everybody. Um, and so then we have this belief system that is very narrow. And so when information comes in, if it doesn't fit our belief system, we cut it off. 
All right? So getting our memory to open up to new ideas, to new everything, we need to move. Mm-hmm. It's, it's essential. And it comes through the body. And then the brain is kind of the last to get it. So um, the more we move, the more brilliant we are. And it's not just movement. This is really important to know that I know there are a few people out there saying you need to run. Running can be really hard on the body. It's very high impact. I worked for years with the Ironman Triathlon in Hawaii. Um, and, uh, you know, women were getting prolapsed uteruses and stuff from this pounding, pounding of these athletes. So what we've known is that the slower you move, holding those movements, you're activating more of the brain, you're activating more of the muscles. So doing things like yoga, which is, and holding poses uh, is better than doing it fast because you have to use more muscle, more brain power. Um, So all the brain gyms that I do with students, they go, need to go very, very slowly. The other thing that we know is that as you're doing these movements, you're increasing the level of dopamine, mm-hmm. which is vital for learning. It's about enthusiasm and, and curiosity and learning through that uh, mode. Um, also, we know that when we exercise and go slow like that, we actually increase the number of mitochondria in our cells in the brain, in the muscles. Mitochondria are our energy units. You know, there are little energy packets. It's where we do the Krebs cycle, where we break our food down into energy molecules that we can energize our life with. And I see so many people today that are tired, that are, you know, just have no energy couch potatoes and especially with this pandemic Mm. you know they need to be moving and uh, it's an underlying statement (laughs) people need to be moving for sure Um, oh oh, sorry dr hannaford i had a question actually so i'm currently in physical therapy school and i just got back from um my lab where we actually it was my neuroscience lab And um, we got to work with real patients actually this time, which was super cool. And one of the patients that we worked with was a Parkinson's patient. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about how they had done boxing classes, um, (laughs) which is apparently like a treatment for Parkinson's, which I had no idea. Um, Could you explain a little bit? Or are you familiar with that at all? Absolutely. Yeah. So why is that? You know, boxing, dancing, Mm -hmm. dancing. They've been getting Parkinson's uh, people dancing. And... um, Again, the more you're moving, the the dopamine, you know, people with Parkinson's disease have low levels of dopamine. So this is really helping them to increase those levels of dopamine. Very, very important. Um, And by the way, we know now, too, from the research that those people that dance 
a few times a week decrease their chance of Alzheimer's and dementia and Parkinson's by 79%. Wow. So, and if they take up a musical instrument, which they can too, it decreases it by 69%. So good for you that you're in physical therapy. You know, or the, working with physical therapy, it's great. Occupational and physical therapists are the ones that know. The other thing is when we move slowly, and I know that you're having your patients do this, move slowly, uh, it really uh, works the vestibular system. Mm-hmm. And the vestibular system is key to learning, key to balance. It's how we keep the balance within our body. And so by going slow with balance, we're activating that vestibular system. The vestibular system, just what it, its word says, is the vestibule, the entryway into the brain. And so it wakes up the brain. It actually wakes it up saying information's coming. This was why it was so hard when uh, we were asking kids to sit still and be quiet. They couldn't activate their vestibular system and keep their brain awake. The other thing is we kept saying, be quiet. When you move your jaw, actually, if you feel under here uh, where the tongue is, under your chin, and just move your tongue, go, you'll feel the lingual ligaments, the ligaments that go to the tongue, actually go up and activate the vestibular system. So when we, in classrooms or whatever, uh, when we get new information, we're learning new information, if we tell someone, we anchor it. When we start talking, we actually open up the brain channels through the vestibular system and anchor that information. So movement of the jaw. Yeah. Um, so I had a few questions. I have read two of your books. I told you before, I, t- I read Smart Moves and I've read The Dominance Factor. And first off, like, thank you for putting that information out there for people to read. Um, I, I got so much out of your books, but I also felt very um, like it hit me in a certain way. And I understood why I learned the way I do and how to make myself a better uh, learner or per, like classmate or whatever. I'm not even in school right now, but just in general, it made a lot of sense to me. And I would love for you to give our audience a little bit. I know there's a ton of different, um, like for your dominance factor, you had a ton of different classifications of people, but maybe just a little bit of an overview. So if they want to learn more, they can purchase your book and read it. But Okay. Um, so when I was working with the intermediate school and the grade school, actually, when I started the next year as a grade school, um, I had been working in the 1970s with Bob Samples on uh, dominance profiling. Yeah. And we had it all figured out. We figured out that if you were right-handed, you were left-brained, mm-hmm. you know, and that sort of stuff. It was very cut and dry. But when I started working with the grade school in the special ed, um, a friend of mine said, you know, George Goodhart is using muscle checking to find out what is a dominance profile. And so I started doing that with these students, with these uh, special ed students. 
And what I discovered is that 89% of them were right hemisphere dominant and all right. So they were blocked. So when they're under stress, they can't talk, they can't see, they can't hear, and they're kinesthetic. So they move. So they were the ones that were causing the fights on the playground. Somebody would say, oh, you're in special ed, and then they'd fight. You know, and then they would go to the principal's office and the principal would say, what happened? Well, you've got one kid that can talk and you've got one kid that can't. And then we make assumptions. Right. Because they can't talk. They're not smart. Stick them in special ed. And here are these brilliant people. uh, And we know how many brilliant people Einstein included was not a smart person in school, you know, and he's right brain dominant and left handed. So these dominance profiles show, and actually, I've worked with it to look at when, and I realized that these dominants start developing actually at nine weeks in utero. Wow. With the moral reflex. The moral reflex is a survival reflex. And so what we do is we develop lead functions for survival. So I don't have to think about it. What hand comes out if I have to fight? What foot comes out if I have to run? You know, and so these are hardwired from the time we're at like nine weeks in utero. And so we can find out, you know, what eye is dominant, what ear is dominant, what hand, what foot and how that relates to the dominant hemisphere. If you look at Marcel Reichel's work with PET scans, um, what you see is when people are under stress or survival, it's the same. Our physiology hasn't caught up to, oh, being late for a class is just, it's not (laughs) life-threatening. We still treat it as if it were life-threatening. It's a survival reflex it's a reflex and so what happens is our non-dominant hemisphere will actually shut down by 75 to 85 percent we don't need it we don't need to think deeply we don't need to come up with new ideas we don't need to be creative Uh, we don't need to do all the executive functioning that the frontal lobe does we just need to get out of there or fight. We need, you know, to survive. And so um, it's very interesting to look at those profiles because they also tell us, because they're hardwired, what our preferences are. Okay? Like, for instance, myself, because I am right hemisphere dominant and all right, I shut down when I'm under stress. But when I'm not under stress, I have my left eye on. So I look for the details. I'm fascinated by the details. I listen for the details. They're really interesting to me. And then I bring them into my right hemisphere to tell a story about it. Because that's my preference. That's my easy way of doing it. Also, I'm... Uh, right-footed. So when I'm not under stress, I actually am pretty coordinated. You know, I can even follow a dance step. (laughs) When I'm not, when I am under stress, though, 
uh, I kind of use my left leg because my right leg shut down. And that poor leg has been broken. It's got a funny toe on it because it's fun into things. It's not organized like my right leg is. So these, these organizational patterns that we develop early on, uh, these basal patterns, really help us to kind of understand our preferences, what we find interesting. Um, you know, uh, how we look at the world. One of the, the problems is, is that our school system, which is basically a British school system, focuses on left hemisphere dominance. Mm -hmm. So it's all very linear, logical, uh, one piece at a time. And for me, this was deadly in school. Yeah. I had real problems. <laughs> I could algebra... I, there's no way I could get algebra. Uh, geometry and trigonometry made sense to me because they were visual and, and you know, more holistic. But the linear part was very difficult for me. And um, so we have a lot of children today that are falling through the cracks because they're right brain dominant. And some of our greatest inventors... Some of the people that really have given us insights into our world are right brain dominant. We don't want to lose them. And we need the, the logic brain dominant people to put things in a nice linear order for us to understand. So we need all of us and all of us. Every profile is important, but it also makes us unique and it makes us, it helps us. I think the dominance profiling for me has really helped me understand other people, especially like my husband, <laughs> who is very left brain. And it's funny in all my classes and all the work I've done, I've figured, I sat down at one time and figured I checked over 300,000 people, their dominance profiling. And what's funny is, we tend to pick people in our lives that are different from us because they're so interesting. Mm. That is until there's a conflict. And then we don't understand each other. You know, we just kind of go by. But, uh, yeah, the dominance profiling, I think, is really fascinating. It continues to fascinate me. I, I'm always learning new things. My husband is a musician. And uh, I am also a musician, and one of the things I found is that the musicians I've checked are blocked on their ear. They're doing their music internally, and they won't—they don't like just having ambient music in the background. It drives them crazy. <laughs> and um, just things like um, logic brain dominant, left brain dominant people can be very messy to the outside world. But for them, they know where everything is. Like my husband, if I move a pencil on his desk, he'll say, you moved a pencil on my desk, <laughs> you know? He knows where everything is, but his room is just chaos for me. If I'm going to do a project, I have to clear the decks so I can just have this 
big wide open field to do Mm -hmm. my creativity with. And then I put things in piles. I have no idea where they are. My husband can tell me, but I don't know. It's pretty funny because Megan and I are actually different. I'm much more right. She's much more left in general with things. And when I read your book, I like tested out all my friends and found out very interesting information about people. And you kind of learn how, what people, if they shut down different parts of their body during stress. Um, and it's just very interesting. My profile is very to a T about me. Um, same one as Albert Einstein. And that was always somebody I like felt like I understood growing up because he never succeeded in school, but was very successful. And Megan, everything you're saying right now, I feel like Megan too sounds, Megan's much more logic. So much more linear. In most yeah. Well, I was thinking when she was saying about the room, like the chaos thing, I'm almost, I don't know which one I am because I like can't stand if there's like a mess. Like I can't leave the house unless my kitchen is clean. But then like my computer, like everything that I have for school is like not organized. (laughs) Like I don't know where anything is. It's really bad actually. And I don't really feel like I'm missing out on it. I don't know. I'd love to read your, I'm going to read your book for sure though, actually. (laughs) And it's so important that the two of you are working together. My favorite, my favorite co-workers are logic brain dominant. They're the best. Because it helps really everybody I've worked with that I've gotten along with and can understand well from, they're more logic brain dominant, which is very interesting. Um, I want each other. Yeah. My husband teaches with me in other countries and stuff. And, and, you know, I'll be off and, you know, doing this. And then they're looking at me really strange, like they didn't get it. Then my husband will step in and, and say, yeah, it has to do with this and this and this and this. And they go, oh, yeah, got it. <laughs> Your information that you've put out in the world is just so interesting. Um, I want to read a couple quotes, like I I read on a Kindle and so I'm able to highlight and I've highlighted like 50 quotes in both your books. <laughs> but, um, and I've, I've, um, I think I've posted them before too on my Instagram anyway. So there's a couple things um, you talk about different types of like learning styles, auditory ability for auditory. And th- that book is just so fascinating. Um, I just want to read about you wrote, as you might imagine, eye dominance has important implications for reading. In normal eye teaming, the dominant eye orchestrates the tracking of both eyes. The right eye naturally tracks from left to right, while the left eye naturally tracks from right to left. Learners with a left eye dominant pattern will initially want to look at the right side of the page first and then move to the left, thus causing difficulties in reading languages that move from left to right, like English. Uh, because the hand and eye are so intimately connected, letter reversals are not uncommon when left eye dominant children are first learning to read and write. And I found that fascinating just because there are languages yeah. that go from right to left. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I actually have a question based on that because I am left eye dominant. Um, uh-huh. Like, and I've met very few people that are. Um, I also tend to do things with my left hand, like intuitively. I don't know if my parents like forced me to be a right-handed person um, mm-hmm. or what, but I like, if I ever have a belt that like has words on it, I'll put it on and it'll be upside down. Cause I just like put it on wrong. Um, and mm-hmm. I am left eye dominant. Like when I shoot a gun or a bow, I have to like close my right or my left eye so that I can actually see cause I'm right-handed. So I've, I've always wondered like what the heck 
causes people to be a dominant in one eye or if it's just random or not. But what Alina just said makes me wonder because like you're Alina's not left eye dominant, but I'm right yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, do but, you know what you know, that? Well, no, it has to do with your survival reflex, your beginning survival reflex. And seeing where you want to see. My guess is when you go to a theater production or anything like that, you want to sit on the left side so that your eye, because your eye will track across from the right to the left Mm -hmm. where you can see that's most comfortable while Elena will want to sit on the right side of the auditorium. And my guess too, if you pick up a magazine or anything, you'll flip from the back to the front you know, just kind of looking through. And it's a, a preference, but it's also um, a survival mechanism, you know, where you're looking for danger. Where is the danger? And uh, you may be left-hand dominant. Uh, you need to muscle check to find out if that's true. And you might very well be left-hand dominant too, um, which I think is great. Yeah, I think Megan was supposed to be lefty. I just thought yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So play with your left hand mm-hmm. and see, you know, really play drawing with it and, and writing with it. And, and uh, yeah, you very well could be left-hand dominant. Mm-hmm. Cool. And, uh, Einstein was left-hand dominant. Mm-hmm. He was right. Everything was right except for his left hand. And we found that creative people... There are more creative people that are left-hand dominant, which is very interesting. It is very interesting. Yeah. The other thing, there's, I mean, you have so many amazing quotes from this book about just like, first of all, how to find your profile. And then once you find your profile, how to actually understand more about yourself and relate more with others. But I also want to talk about your book, Smart Moves, which is the book I first read. And um I just remember reading this and being blown away and I've studied movement for a long time, but your book hit in a different way in that almost everything you said was something I couldn't ignore. It was so, so great. I'm trying to pull up Mm -hmm. some of these quotes, but there's a couple quotes in here that you talked about senses. And I thought that that was very interesting with what I study. So you said one of your quotes here is, Well, this is more about learning, but thinking and learning are not all in our head. On the contrary, the body plays an integral part of our intellectual processes from our earliest moments in utero right through our old age. It is our body senses that feed the brain environmental information with which to form an understanding of the world and from which to draw when creating new possibilities. Then you said, you talked about intelligence and IQ, which I love when anybody talks about that. I think it's fascinating. But you said sensations received through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, skin, proprioceptors, and other sensory receptors we are just beginning to understand are the foundation of knowledge. The body is the medium of this learning as it gathers all the sensations that inform us about the world and about ourselves. And with what I study, it was hand in hand, that was so powerful to understand that because I use sense to make changes in people's body when they're in pain. So Mm -hmm. it was very interesting. And you take it, you use this with learning. So it, it's just, it's very interesting. You also said movement and play profoundly improve not only learning, but creativity, stress management, and health. You 
yeah, everything you wrote about in these books has was is very eye opening, and I think for personal trainers, this is very useful, and for people, kids growing up now in front of a cell phone, in front of a computer all the time, um, we see it all the time with gamers with their posture looking a certain way, and um, I do what you were talking about earlier with the gait, cross lateral movement, how you know how that helps Parkinson's is is very important, but. Also, just for our growing young population to start to understand mm-hmm. that how they learn and how they grow up in society will mm-hmm. have a lot to do with what they're doing right now. And Yes. It's frightening. Yeah. You know, I, I love my technology, but it's really frightening. It's overused, and it's, there's no balance. Um, and people need to be moving, and they need to be interacting with other people. Uh, you know, we're finding that these kids can't read body language. They can't reach facial expressions. They're missing so much of what's around them. And, uh, you know, they need to be out playing. Luckily, I live in Montana where uh, there's a real emphasis up where I am in Kalispell on being outside, you know, living in the environment. And so... yeah. I think that's good, but I, I know in places, uh, a lot of the people that I work with worldwide are in shutdown where they can't, you know, they're on curfew and they are inside so much mm-hmm. and they need to be, you know, doing things that, the movement that will really help them this time. Well, I read your books and I recommend them to everybody. I think you are brilliant and we're, we're just so happy to, you know, have had the ability to like read what you put out there. Cause that's really how information gets shared. But yeah. we have two more questions for you. Um, one is where can people find you if they want to interview you or if they want to reach out and learn more from you? Just, I think my email is the best bet, which is heart connect H E A R T C O N N E C T four, four, at AOL.com, or just go online, put my name in, it'll come up. Perfect. Uh, just, I was going to say, too, with the dominance factor, with the dominance profiling, if you want to use muscle checking, there is a, a YouTube video of my daughter and I doing the muscle checking for dominance and uh so what That's we'll do, in there. we can link that to the show notes so people can actually uh, check that out. Mm-hmm. And, and, cool. Yeah. Um, Megan, do you want to ask the next? Oh, yes. I will ask. I'm really excited for your answer, actually. So <laughs> one, one question that we ask every single one of our guests is, what is something that you do most days or every day to move your brain, move your body, or both? I take a walk. I take a hike. <laughs> yeah. Every every single day I, I do that. Yeah, yeah, me too, actually. And I've noticed, um, and this, I mean, it's been making sense to me. I, I think better when I'm moving. And so like, so most of my, uh, my didactics for school are all online. And so a lot of the time when I'm listening to lectures, I will go walk my dog and it just, I feel like I can focus better mm-hmm. when I'm, when I'm moving. Um, like when I'm studying for exams, a lot of the time I'm literally walking. I'm not like staring at a screen. I'm walking and I'm like visualizing the words that are being told to me and it's Perfect. helped me so far, but I, 
I love it. And I'm so, so happy to hear that, like, it's beneficial for everyone of all ages, just because it's something that I've personally observed in myself. And now I'm learning a lot more about it. So I have a lot of friends that are, I'm 77, but I have a lot of friends that are older than me that I walk with, that I hike with, you know, and they're brilliant. They're <laughs> just brilliant. And in Montana, it's probably beautiful. I've heard it's amazing beautiful. things. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast. Join in every week as we release new episodes. Subscribe or leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts. If you have questions or topics to cover, please email moveyourbb at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at moveyourbb.